Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Simple Truths, the podcast of Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. Today, we will dive into God's Word to seek simple truths for everyday life. Let's join Pastor Josh Dixon for today's Simple Truth. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Judges, the Old Testament book of Judges, Judges chapter 7 in your scriptures this morning. And let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Judges chapter 7, we're going to begin in uh, verse 1 of this text. We'll uh, read about seven verses here, and then we'll skip to a a latter part of the chapter. So follow along with me. Verse 1, chapter 7, the book of Judges. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the Host of the Midian, Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mora in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into uh, their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead, And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. The Lord said unto Gideon, in verse 4, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, and the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. The number of them, verse 6, that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But at all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. The Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go every man unto his place. Verse 16, please. Same chapter, verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. That's peculiar, isn't it? And he said unto them, verse 17, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon, the hundred men that were with him, came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning, in the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were with their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets, break the pitchers, and the and held the lamps, excuse me, in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with, uh, withal. And they cried, "The sword of the Lord and of Gideon." They stood every man, verse twenty-one, in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. Thank you so much for standing in honor of the reading of God's word. You may be seated this morning. What a time we've been having on the mountain with God. Would you testify to that? The air up here on the mountain might be a little thin. It's not a place that you're going to stay long term up on the mountain, but the experience on the mountain, the view on the mountain is probably 
priceless, isn't it? Vince Lombardi said, quote, the man on top of the mountain did not fall there, end quote. Meaning this is an intentional place. This is an intentional meeting place that we've been celebrating with our God. In our text this morning, we find someone that each of us could liken unto. A common man, maybe you would say. You might even say that he was a, an unlikely candidate to accomplish something of the magnitude that is described in chapter 7 of the book of Judges. To describe Gideon, you might say that he was, that he was a hardworking man. In chapter 6, if you'll just glance quickly, chapter 6, verse 11, you find that he was threshing wheat secretly, it says, so that the Midianites uh, didn't steal it away. They didn't steal the harvest completely away from Gideon and his family and his people. You might say that he was hardworking. You might also say that he was a strong man, a strong man of character. In chapter 6, verse 12, the angel of the Lord said that he was a mighty man of valor. You might say that he was uh, a, a man of sincere discipleship. In chapter 6, verse 17, he was asking and seeking for a sign to confirm the Lord's leading and desire for he and the, the Israelites. You might say that he was a man of influence. We certainly see that in our home text, the, the key part of the, the story of Gideon and the Israelites. And Judges chapter 7, he was a man of great influences as he leads the people to, to victory. He was not. Now listen, if you study him out, and we don't have the time to look at all of chapter 6 and all of the details of chapter 7 today, but he was not the shiny penny that might attract your eye. But he possessed the common element of all of these mountain climbers that we've been looking at and studying. He was simply obedient. Somebody ought to say amen to that. He was willing to follow the Lord wherever the Lord called him. Let me just pause there. Let me ask you that this morning. Could you, would you say that you're completely willing to do whatever God is calling upon you to do today? Could you testify of that as we've seen in every one of our mountain climbers up to this point, especially Gideon this morning? Israel had forgotten what they had because of who they were. Let me explain that. They had the promised land, didn't they, at this point? Because they were the chosen people of God. Please say amen to that. They had bought into idolatry once again in their life and lifestyle. God alone was not enough for their appetite. Please listen to that. God alone was not enough for their appetite. Does that sound familiar to you today? As we look around at our culture, as our, at our society, at our world today, God alone is not enough anymore. The Amalekites, the, the Midianites were moving into the Jezreel Valley because it was a rich land. It was a land for raising crops, and it was a land for being prosperous. They were trying to move in and, and overtake. They were trying to steal it away, if you will, from the Israelites because the Israelites were so preoccupied. Satan will always make an advance on what God has provided. Let me say that again to you today. Satan will always make an advance on what God has provided. Satan will make an advance at your family. And by the way, God has provided your family. Satan wants nothing more than to attack your family. Satan will always make an advance on this place. What we're doing here this morning, Satan would love nothing more than to attack our worship. He would love to interfere. He would love to divert your mind and your attention today. He'll always make an advance on what God is striving and trying to do in the way of his people. The gist of the entire text is that God wanted to prove 
in Judges chapter 7, he was enough. And that makes it even more interesting that he chose a farm kid like Gideon to lead the people to victorious living. Now that ought to mean something to us this morning in this rural setting. God used a a simple little farm kid to remind his people who they were and that he was enough. From Mount Gilead, God proves himself to work in the life of every believer. And number one, appreciate adversity. Appreciate adversity. After the fall in the Garden of Eden, life immediately became an environment of adversity. Immediately it became a life of difficulty, a life of sometimes misfortune. We are quick to blame God for that at times. We're quick to say things like this, God, God why would you do this? <laughs> why would you allow this in my life? But in reality, it's our own fault. It's a result of sin. Please testify to that. Adversity is not a hindrance to God, but a gateway to opportunity. The Midianites and Amalekites are pressing in on the uh, compromised people of God. They're stealing and gleaning all that they could, which is why we find Gideon in chapter 6, verse 11, threshing wheat behind the wine press. He was hiding as he was working and, and doing his daily chores, providing for his family and for his people, threshing that wheat. He was hiding there. The Midianites were a nomadic, seasonal type of people. They would move in when it was convenient to raid and to steal off the benefit of others. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 6, if you're keeping notes, prove that fact. In Israel's current spiritual position, it seemed that there was really no way to successfully deal with the problem of the Midianites. They were moving in in such a way that it was, that it was overwhelming. Gideon even asks in chapter 6, verse 13, you'll find as he asks this, he says, oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? He's testifying, isn't he? He's even asking the Lord, why, Lord, are you allowing this adversity? Why is this befalling to us? Why are we having to deal with these people, these annoying people? God, they're taking in, and they're coming in and taking everything that we've worked for. Here I am threshing wheat. You kind of hear this in the, in the conversation that he's having. Here I am threshing wheat in the, in, in the shadows. I'm, I'm hiding just to provide for my own family. Sometimes before we get to the mountain, which is where Gideon is in this moment of chapter 6, things may seem a little tumultuous. Things may seem a little thick at moments. Would someone this morning be honest enough? Would you be sincere enough to testify to that out loud? that in moments of our life, it seems a little bit overwhelming. I'd say amen to that. Sometimes it seems a little thick, doesn't it? Sometimes if we were to be completely honest, we would even testify to the fact that we don't feel like we even match up or we add up to the challenge that is before us. I'd say amen to that too. How about you? This is a little thick, God. This might be a little more than I even than I even bargained for. Life challenges are only opportunities. Huh? You missed that one. Life challenges are only opportunities for God to do the things that only he can do. 
Adversity challenges us. It challenges us to look up, to realize, to realize our weakness and to yield ourselves to his power. Adversity challenges us to look up. Trial always precedes, if you're keeping notes, this would be worthy of it. Trial always precedes a triumph. If you're going through a trial today, listen, you can guarantee that God is about to triumph. God is about to get a victory if you'll yield to him. Faith does not eliminate life complications. I've met a few believers that had that mindset. That if I, if I become a Christian, if I have faith, then all of the problems of life should, right? They should disappear. I should live in the utopia of faith. Really? Where is that place at? That place doesn't exist. That place is called heaven. Let me pinch you. You are not there yet, right? This is far from heaven, isn't it? Faith does not eliminate life complications. It offers a way, though. It offers a way around them. From here, Gideon makes his signature move. When we, when we think about this, this thought of adversity challenges us to look up, here Gideon makes his signature move. He says this in chapter 6. Maybe you'd have to turn a page from our reading text of chapter 7. Verse 17, you'll find that he says this, Show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Gideon was a man, if you know anything about your scripture, he was a man, wasn't he? He was a man of, of signs. He wanted absolute proof. God, I want to be sure. I want to be sure that you and I are having this conversation. I want to be sure that you're going to do what you say you are going to do. The first one of these signs is making a meal and presenting it to the angel of the Lord, which, by the way, is Christ himself. If you keep notes in your Bible, maybe there in the margin of chapter 6, right along verse 17 in some of those neighboring verses, you might want to write in, this is Christ. When it talks about the angel of the Lord, that is what we call a theophany, Christ showing up in the Old Testament. And so God asks him to make a meal and to present it to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord touched the meal with a staff. The Bible tells us that it was consumed. It's consumed with fire. Then he moves from that sign. He went to the fleece. And that's the one that he is most famous for. Laying that fleece out and checking it in the morning and and, and telling God, I'm going to lay this fleece out before you, and I will check it in the morning if it is wet or if it is dry, and, and I'm going to seek you in this moment. If you're keeping notes, chapter 6, verse 37 through 40, he's confirming what the Lord was saying to him. Adversity will always cause us to step up and pay close attention to what God is saying. I challenge you this morning, never take your eyes off of God, especially in the moment of adversity. Most importantly, adversity is usually is usually at the foot of the mountain. Meaning this, if you're facing adversity in your life, in your walk with the Lord, your discipleship process, if you're facing adversity, God is about to take you higher. Remain focused. Keep your eyes on him. Number two, from Mount Gilead, God proves himself to work in the life of every believer and accept your identity. Accept your identity. Before getting to Mount Gilead, God needed to prove Gideon and Israel of who they were. Let's say this today. Who you are today is only a piece of the product. You are a project. Who you are today is only a piece of the finished product. Chapter 6, verse 15, it says this, I am the least, Gideon says, I am the least in my father's house. Gideon saw himself as, as God begins to speak to him through the angel of the Lord being Christ. As he speaks to Gideon, Gideon begins to look at himself and, and he says in verse 15, hold on a second, 
Do you know who you got here? Do you know who you have called? I am the least in my father's house. Gideon saw himself as a small man living among a small clan of people and in turn made him, those thoughts made him fearful. He was determining his identity based upon his surroundings. He was determining his identity based on his circumstances. He looked at his family and, and, and he really says in chapter 6 for verse 15, he says, God, <laughs> do you know who I'm related to? By the way, thanks a lot. You don't get to choose who you're related to. Really, God? I'm the least here. We're not much to talk about, is what he's saying. As he looks at his family, as he looks at his background, as he looks at his circumstances. Listen, have you seen God? Have you looked out in the valley, the Jezreel Valley? Have you numbered how many Midianites and Amalekites are moving into our land on a daily basis? Have you seen what they are trying and striving to do to us as a people, as your people? He was measuring his identity based on his surroundings, based on his circumstances. We are not meant to be thermometers, but thermostats as believers. We're meant to change the environment. We're meant to change the environment to be spiritually quickened, to be alive. And I want to challenge you with that this morning. Listen, you, you're not going to do yourself any favor looking at your circumstance looking at your surroundings, not in the old world that we're living in today. You'll live a defeated life if you base your life on the things that are around you. Listen, even some of you that things seem to be going, quote, good. Some of you got a great, a great home. Some of you got a great job. Some of you got a great retirement set up. Some of you got more vacation than you know what to do with. Some of you got a pretty good situation. Let's praise God for that in just a moment, huh? Let's praise God for that. Even when it's good, you can't focus on those things, is what I'm trying to say to you this morning. We must keep our eyes focused on the Lord. We're not thermometers. We're thermostats. God instructed Gideon to tear down the altar of Baal, the false god in which they were worshiping. He said, not only do I want you to tear down the altar of Baal, but I want you to cut down the grove, chapter 6, verse 25. I want you to cut down the grove that is associated. They would plant these groves of trees that were a part of the worship, that were a part of the, the sacrifices that they would offer to this false god. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that that was a common piece of their false worship. Those groves are all throughout the Old Testament. And God says, Gideon, listen to me. Before I can do anything, you've got to get your priorities straight. And not only you, but the entire people of Israel. I want you to gather together some men, and I want you to go over there, and I want you to tear down the altar of Baal, and I want you to cut down that grove. I want you to cut down those trees that were planted and nurtured and grown for false worship. God's saying this, I can't bless you until you serve me. Till you tear down the false gods in your life, I cannot do a work. Furthermore, I don't want you to only tear down those things and burn those things up, but I want you to build an altar unto me and offer a sacrifice. If you go to chapter 6, look at verse 26, you'll find that, and I think it's important for us to see in verse 26 of chapter 6, the book of Judges, it says, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock. 
flock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. I want you to worship me. All the while, God was shaping, wasn't he? He was shaping and molding a leader out of someone that didn't see themselves as a leader. What you see in yourself is not the finished product. I'm thankful for that. Sometimes in our flesh, we believe that lie. We look around at maybe some of that little progress that's going on in our life and some of those blessings that we've celebrated in the moment of our offering this morning in the few moments that we talked about. I mentioned some finances. I mentioned some vacation. I mentioned some of the possessions that God blesses us with. Sometimes we, we look at some of those things and we begin to, to have this false sense of, wow, I'm not doing so bad here. Or on the opposite of that, we trip up on some of our shortcomings. Sin has an easy way of of besetting us and getting us off track. I want to remind us, wherever you may fall into these categories this morning, what you see in yourself is not the finished product. You're in the middle of a process. Whether you've been saved for three days, for three years, or for 30 years, you are in the middle of a spiritual process. Remember the old song, God is still working on me? It's true. God's still working. God's still working on you. He's working on me. Your identity is important for the current climate. Our home text of chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, are evidence of that. They're now at the well of Herod, chapter 7 tells us. You're keeping notes. The well of Herod is known as the spring of trembling in the Hebrew. The well of Herod is at the foot of the mountain, Mount Gilead. There are 120,000 Midianites compared to 32,000 Israelites. It seemed mathematically this was, this was quite, quite the situation. God wanted this to be, to be of him, not of the people. He says in chapter 7, verse 2, Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, My own hand hath saved me. God's saying this, Listen, Gideon. I'm going to shave this thing down to something that is unreal because I do not want you, and I know who you guys are. You can be a prideful people. I do not want you getting on the other side of this battle and saying, wow, look at what we did. I want you to get on the other side of this battle and look back and say, wow. Look at what our God did. Around here, we try to celebrate those things. We say that often. We said that in the spring at our, our Easter drama. We say that often in the fall. Those days are coming quickly to us. We want to get on the backside of these events. We want to get on the backside of, of these godly opportunities. And we want to look back and testify that God did something amazing, something beyond our ability. We were talking and praying this morning as a staff. It may not seem big to you, but I'm trusting him for that this evening. We have an opportunity right down the street here at the Clinton County Fair to talk to somebody that we otherwise would not get to talk to about the gospel. Let us never take our eyes off of the fact that if one person gets saved, it'll be worth it all. That's what it's about. God says in chapter 7, listen, I want you to know that this is me doing this. God tells Gideon to release the men that are afraid. Gideon, here's how we're going to do this. <laughs> I want you to look at them and say, if any of you are afraid, you are dismissed. Thanks for showing up. Tell mom we said, hey, 22,000 of them immediately 
left. 22,000 of them took tail and ran. Then God instructs him to have the remaining drink of the spring. I want you to have them get a drink of water. Now listen to me. They don't know this, but we're going to watch how they drink water, and we're going to use that method to weed down the rest of them. Verse 6, based upon the distinction of their approach, those that brought the water to their mouth remaining alert of their surroundings. They were cupping the water, in other words, standing or, or maybe just getting down a little bit to cup the water, but they were remaining alert. God narrowed the army. You know this. In junior church, we are taught this. God narrowed the army of the Israelites down to 300. Verse 7, God now proclaims victory through Gideon up on Mount Gilead before it has even become a reality. Verse 7, chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. Let all the other people go every man unto his place. Gideon, you don't need them. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. I like, I like how he words it. I'm going to save you today. Let's remember today. Let's remember who we are. God says that you are his child. You are his friend. You are justified. You are forgiven. Somebody ought to testify. You are no longer condemned. You are more than a conqueror. You are his workmanship. You are a royal priesthood, the scripture tells us. You are blood-bought, spirit-filled, heaven-bound. You are an equipped soldier. You have specially designed armor to protect you. If you're saved, you ought to say amen this morning. In other words, you have everything that this current culture needs to be exposed to a God that loves his people. God is calling upon Gideon. God is calling upon this 300 to be exactly who they are, his children. You have everything that you need. You have my blessing. You have my calling. You have my hand of protection. Now be, listen, can you hear this? Now be my people. Sometimes we need to be reminded of exactly who we are as Christians. Your identity as a believer matters in this current climate. Please, this morning, I exhort you, please do not turn loose of that. If the enemy is getting any kind of a win today, it's because believers are turning loose and compromising their faith and belief. It becomes very confusing to the world of who a believer really is. And so they do the natural thing and they invade. That's what the Amalekites, the Midianites were doing. God's people were compromised. They were living like the world. They had no focus. They were thinking only about themselves. And it was really easy to roll in there and steal what they had. Maybe some of you have heard the story about the polar bear cub that was struggling with his identity. He asked his dad, Dad, am I a polar bear like you? I'm not a lion. I'm not a bird. I'm not an old cow. And I know I'm not a cat. Right, Dad? Dad said, that's right, son. Why are you asking about being a polar bear? The cub said, I'm just making sure because the wind out here is really cold. We look around today at our world and the wind is blowing. It'll carry you away if you allow it. Please remember your identity. You're a believer. You're blood-bought. Number three, from Mount Gilead, God proves himself to work in the life of every believer and act on authority. Act on authority. Going to battle with 300 weaponless men against 120,000 is crazy unless God instructs it. God's authority, get ready to say amen. God's authority is everything. Authority is made available on the mountain. 
verses 9 through 10, God tells Gideon to go down with his servant and survey the battlefield. If you look at verse 9 in chapter 7, these are verses that we did not share together. might be valuable for you to see them. In verse 9, he says in chapter 7, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go, with, go thou with uh, Fura thy servant down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. Afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Fura his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. It's a scouting party. In so doing, he overhears. He overhears a Midianite tell a dream that he had concerning their defeat to the Israelites. Based upon that information of that dream, God confirmed his power and his will to lead Gideon and the people, verses 14 through 15. I want to say to us this morning that through this weekly activity, the weekly activity of church, God is confirming and providing his power in our life. This is a needed exercise. Hey, this is a needed exercise. Listen, it's important that you're here. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. It's important that you make an effort to be here every opportunity that you have. Hey, I would even, as your shepherd, I would even encourage you in this way. Let this trump some of the other things in your life. Make this one of the most important things. We were in conversation last night. We, we ran across a, a family that, that we knew at the fair, and we were talking to them a little bit. And Holy Spirit pricked my heart to talk to them about church. And I said, I said, hey, uh, BTW, by the way, it'd be good to see you in church some Sunday. Them little boys, they'd love our children's program. It'd be good for you to lead your family and bring them some Sunday. I think you would enjoy yourself. The comment that was made was this. Yeah, we need to try that church thing again sometime. Now listen, before you look down your spiritual nose, that is a common thought process. What we're doing here this morning has become an option of many things. And I want to say to you this morning, if you're safe, say amen. This is not optional. Some of you this morning, you're cringing because I'm stepping on your toes. This is not optional. This is needed. Let me turn that around for you. Let me make this a little more comfortable for you. I need this too. It'd be really easy for me to take my spiritual finger and point it at you and say, you need this place. You're wicked. You're a sinner. But we're all in the same boat. We're people. Huh? We're far from perfect. Remember what we said a few moments ago? We're a project. We need the hand of God shaping and molding us on a weekly basis. Thank you for joining us today for Simple Truths. If you would like to accept Christ as your Savior, or if you have questions, please give us a call at 937-383-1122 or check us out on the web at bbcwilmington.org. Simple Truths is a podcast sponsored by Bible Baptist Church of Wilmington, Ohio. We hope you have a great day and may God bless you.